This is Paul Elam. You're listening. Ah, see, I hate this. It's better if I have a script. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul Elam of AvoiceForMen.com, and I got in touch with my feminine side on Apostasy Now. This is Dr. Tara Palmatier of ShrinkForMen.com, and I got in touch with my feminine side on Apostasy Now. They can go to Amazon and just type in, say goodbye to crazy, That'll it'll be the first return. It's a um, book cover with a nice big bright red lipstick kiss on it. You're not going to be able to miss it. Uh, also, I'd like to invite your listeners to come to... Uh, to Google either Going Mental or uh, Say Goodbye to Crazy on YouTube. They'll get our videos. Sure, and if you're interested more in, in, in what Paul is what this discussing regarding the court system and how ideology has has uh, basically poisoned our cultural and, and legal landscape, there are many, many an article on Paul's website, thevoiceformen.com. Very educational for people who are familiar with that. And... I have uh, on my own website, shrinkformen.com, that's shrinkformen.com. I have a lot of articles on personality disorder issues, uh, custody issues when dealing with crazy. It's not the same as, as the book, but there's, there's, there's information there as well. Yeah, let me add to that. I mean, one of the symptoms of a, a life with crazy for many guys is poverty, uh, because she it all... Uh, and, and some guys, seriously, won't be able to afford to buy a book. If that's the case, please go to shrink4men.com. Dr. T has written extensively. Uh, uh, agreed, it's not as much as the book, but it is. You get a lot of great stuff there. Yes, and, and I'd like to do it again sometime. I really, you know, not blowing smoke here, uh, I really enjoyed uh, one of the best interviews I've heard from anybody that's around The Voice for Men was your interview. Of Dina's absolutely fantastic job, great interview, uh, balanced and kept the, the, the pacing and everything perfect. It was really good. This is Dr. Tara Palmatier of ShrinkForMen.com. I am more masculine in nature. And I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I am too. Hi, I'm Paul Elam of AvoiceForMen.com. No, this was really great, too. You guys did great, and I really appreciate it. It was very nice meeting you both, and happy to come back on, and thank you again. Welcome back to Apostasy Now. Glad to have you back. Another great guest. Today it's Brian Hinckley. He's the author of a book called Atheism, Religion, and Life, A Layman's Perspective. And it's a good thing I mentioned it now because it's a while for us to realize we hadn't mentioned it in the interview. Uh, Brian is an easily uh, understood guy, very approachable. And his experiences and perspectives are relatable to most of us, though there is a great respect that he and I have for the academics, their critical role. This is a kind of book that comes around with very important ideas that reveal themselves in everyday types of reasoning. Brian is out of the Hamilton, Ontario area, which is close to where I live. He's had uh, many different hats. He's done many different professions, including sitting on the uh, town council, the city council of Hamilton. It's glad to have him on. And in addition to having him today, I'll let you know that in the upcoming future, I'm working on getting Emery Emery 
and possibly Heather Henderson onto the show. That's a scheduling issue. They're very busy people, but I love their stuff. If you uh, haven't seen it, or rather heard it, Ardent Atheist and Skeptically Yours. Brilliant shows. In addition to that, upcoming, we've also got Chris Weber. I love his show. It's a podcast called Paranormal Skeptic Academy. It's brilliant. He goes through ghost hunting shows and he tears them apart from a skeptic's point of view. So anyways, let's get back to today's guest, Brian Hinckley. Welcome back to another great episode of Apostasy Now. I'm sure you've discovered my deep and abiding interest in pain. Present, I'm writing the definitive work on the subject. So I want you to be totally honest with me on how the machine makes you feel. This being our first try, I'll use the lowest setting. Because I'm very much a skeptic. More, I'm, I'm more of a skeptic than I am an atheist. I mean, atheist is a conclusion based on my skepticism. You'll have to come like a little child to the foot of the cross. That attitude is what is responsible for the rise of atheism. That's not what Islam is all about. Islam is peace. What is the penalty for leaving the Muslim faith? With a death penalty. Thank you. For people to get the information correct before they start yap, yap, yapping. Get ready to root for the bad guys. Because with the evidence, all the evidence. I'll, I'll show you my, uh, my image. Now, don't judge my hair because my company has me on a late shift. And then today, I, oh, there you are. they decided to wake us all up early for a safety meeting. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so, I'm in your hands. You want to fire away? We can uh, go wherever you want to go. All right. Well, uh, Brian, welcome to Apostasy Now. <laughs> well, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, your book, uh, like I said, I have not read it, but I have uh, w- uh, looked at the information you've released about it, and it sounds really interesting. I wanted to get you on the show to introduce my audience to what you've what you've uh, put out there for them to read. Um. Now, now this much I do know. You have had many different hats you've worn in life, and this is the experience that you uh, you've put into the work. You say it's for the layman's perspective. Exactly. Uh, I wrote this book hoping that the layman will pick it up and read it. Uh, after I wrote the book, I had a thought: Will the layman actually pick it up and read it? Uh, who are the readers uh, today, and do people read books? Well, perhaps some of the the more educated or the scholarly or people that are interested in this subject might uh, might read it, but it's really not geared for them. Because after I'd read so many of their excellent books, by the way, and they are excellent, uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, the people that know the subject, uh, whether it be Dawkins or uh, Hitchens or uh, uh, Sam Harris or, or any of them all, they've done some excellent work. But as I read their books, I begin to think, well, wait a minute, would the ordinary person be interested in this? Perhaps yeah. somebody who's religious or on the fence might be, but would the ordinary person? But then after I, I, so I wrote this book for the ordinary person, and then I said, now how in the world am I going to get it into their hands, and how am I going to convince them to read it? So getting it into their hands, yeah, getting people to realize it's out there. Um, I guess you could wear a sign, and you go down the street, pot some pans. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not uh, really enthusiastic about that approach. <laughs> I don't know how effective it would be anyways. We have a few officers asking you if you've had any new medication lately. <laughs> yes, they might want to take me away. <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, that's uh, that's kind of what I'm hoping my show, uh, one of the major reasons that I think not just me, but anyone who does podcasting kind of hopes our show will serve that function, finding interesting guests, getting on the show. And then when people are doing work, uh, driving, whatever, pop it in their ear and they go, hey, this is this is something I like. So. Well, well, I, I think podcasting does serve that purpose. And I, I think you're, you're one up on me in that area because uh, I enjoy listening to the uh, podcast because it has a range. And you, you bring in different people from different areas. And I really think the ordinary person would clue into a podcast much quicker than they would uh, order a book or, or sit down and read a book. So you're doing a great service. Well, I think it bounces both ways. But if let's put it this way, if my podcast never had anyone clicking over to check out the work of my guests, I would consider it a dismal failure. <laughs> well, I understand that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but there are there are, right now there uh, the, the whole area is growing. Uh, podcasting yeah. is growing. Uh, all kinds of podcasting, not just uh, podcasting on humanism and, and atheism, uh, but everything. And yeah. uh, it's it's an interesting field. Well, uh, anything that has to do with communication is diversifying. Um, I've had a couple of hip hop artists on the show. They're skeptics, and they're atheists, and they don't they don't uh, seek labels uh, or record labels contracts. They go directly to an audience base, and they've been growing in their success doing that. And I think that's in in every field, like, like you're talking about podcasting, publishing. Everything's creating new opportunities. I think for people. Well, well, absolutely. Uh, the, the means of communicating with people are so diverse today that it's incredible. When I go on Facebook, I get the news before the news gets on the, the uh, television. Uh, people are, are way ahead of what's happening. And it's so great that individuals can tell their story and get it out. And it, if it catches fire, well, it spreads so much faster yeah. through the social media than the regular mainstream media. Yep. And, I mean, there's always the upside downside. So I think... Often we're, a lot of us are too quick to complain about the kind of the foolishness that spreads really quick, but we're, the gatekeepers are gone for a lot of the things that people want to talk about. So it used to be there, maybe a producer would be like, well, you want to put this on the air, but does it, is it really going to appeal to our demographics we're aiming at? And so you never hear it. Well, listen, you, you say the gatekeepers. Interestingly enough, I don't know if I should mention the, uh, the radio station, but I had an interview with a radio station, a very large radio station, about my book. And they did not air it. Really? Uh, yeah. And, and they told me the reason that they aired it is um, that I, I read too much. I quoted things. I wanted to uh, quote certain things. Maybe that's right. But I have a, the skeptic that's in me, yeah. I have a, a, a very suspicious feeling that some of the things that I quoted was just too raw for uh, the public radio or for the uh, the supervisor uh, that uh, had to make the decision whether or not it was going to be aired. And I don't know which is worse, uh, a producer or someone, like I say, a gatekeeper of authority who gets bent out of shape of their own personal feelings, or is it worse that they're not bent out of shape about themselves, but they think everyone's so stupid and feeble out there that they can't hear a different perspective? Well, well, that's true, and, and as you say, it, it works uh, uh, both ways. Um, but that's the skeptic in me. I, I just think it, it was too raw. There was a um, a, a woman um, who went through the um, residential uh, facilities run by the churches, and it was it was a very timely interview because the Truth and Re Reconciliation Commission's report was about to be released in three days, just uh, after 
we did our our, our interview, and the interview would have been aired uh, the day before the release of the Truth and Reconciliation Report. And and I'll just summarize the quote. I quoted a woman who was 75 years old, and she was uh, abused her her and and saw many many other abuses in the residential care uh, or the re- residential school, and run by a Roman Catholic church and. A Indian girl was impregnated by one of the priests. Well, oh, I, 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 I don't quite understand this, but um, maybe you could explain it to me. Or maybe <laughs> explain it to me. But the girl was allowed to go full-term pregnancy, I guess because the Roman Catholic Church was against uh, abortion. But the baby was born. This woman uh, was in the kitchen, and they brought the baby down. They, the nun brought the, the little newborn baby down, wrapped up in a, in a pink blanket, and threw the baby right into the furnace. What? Exactly. That is written and documented. She gave that testimony in 2008 before the Truth and Reconciliation Committee when they had an, an open uh, forum, an open house, and it was recorded by CBC at the time. Wow. Um, there are so many terrible stories. Just uh, for anyone who's listening that doesn't have the equivalent in their country, because uh, there's people that listen from all over the planet, uh, which is another cool thing about what's happening. The, our audiences are really diversifying. Um, th- what we're talking about is uh, Native Americans and the way that they've been treated. Native Canadians. Um, Native Canadians, well, yeah. Well, yeah, Native North Americans, we'll say. Exactly, yeah. There are Aboriginal peoples. Yeah. And not only did we do all kinds of terrible stuff leading up to it, but the residential schools is when we took them from their parents by force, uh, you know, shoved them into these uh, deplorable conditions in the name of civilizing them, I think, is the argument. Well, and, they wanted to take the Indian out of the Indian. Yeah. yeah. They, and, called, uh, they called it cultural genocide. And some people don't like that term. But that's what, what the uh, the chairman of the commission called it. And reconciliation is the term for the government's approach to try to make amends on some level or, or I guess you can't really make amends, but make a motion in that way, at least of supposedly of good faith, depending on how you look at it. So I just wanted to clear that up because some people may not understand exactly what we're talking about. But that yeah. a story like that raised the, raises the hair on the back of your neck. Like, how would, what would life even be like after you, you knew someone had done that? Well, I don't know. You'd live with that as a as a nightmare for the rest of your life. And that's what that uh, Native woman who was 75 years old in 2008, she lived with that nightmare all of her life. And uh, there are so many horrible, horrible stories. And, and, and the church would prefer to just cover it up. Our current government really doesn't want to do too much about the problem. They're probably going to be embarrassed and forced to do something. And uh, it's I, there's a, a portion of my book where I refer, refer to all of these um, atrocities. And there was a reverend uh, who wrote a book. I'm amazed that uh, more acknowledgement hasn't been given to his book. I made reference to it in my book because I wanted people to read it. I couldn't spend the space uh, to deal with uh, the, 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 the horrors. But there is the Reverend Annette, and he wrote a book about uh, the Canadian genocide referring to this whole subject. Yeah, I can't. I can't take it. Uh, I can't write about this stuff. Uh, it just it gets to me too much. And when, yeah. when you're talking about children and babies, it's disturbing. It's and it happened here. We're used to like talking about terrible things that happen either you know some other part of the world or uh, we're we're talking about like ancient history, like the Bronze Age, terrible stuff. This is really close to home. Absolutely. Right here. But anyways, the, there, there's a little section in my book that I, I donate to that, and I refer people where they can get more information. But 
it may it may be a little bit redundant now because of the the work of the commission and the information that's out there. Whether or not uh, very many can- Canadians will read about it, I don't know. Still, probably a good wake up call for people to go through. Yeah. It. yeah. Um, and just so you know, um, I I have been told that I am a scholar at heart, even though I'm not a scholar by profession. You may quote uh, and read uh, sections of your book if you want. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know why that would be. I don't know why it would be a problem. Well, well, thank you because there, <laughs> some sometimes uh, a quote or a section summarizes it uh, exactly because something that you've written, you've taken a little bit of time to get the words correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I might, uh, I don't know how long an uh, interview uh, time we have, but uh, there might be a, a, a couple quotes that I wouldn't mind uh, sharing with you. You know, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff in this book. Why don't you take, take uh, us back a little bit and kind of walk us through the changes you went through life leading up to this? Well, okay. Uh, I, did we mention the, the title of the book? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's one, one negative thing about having people doing podcasting. Sometimes we're chuckleheads. That's right. We have. Uh, okay, do you, do you want to say? It? I can tell you what it is. It's, yeah, it's uh, atheism, religion, and life: a layman's perspective. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you how um, I came to be an, uh, an atheist. Uh, first of all, uh, my my father, who I didn't know at the time until later on in my youth, he was an atheist. Ironically, his father was a Jehovah Witness, um, and uh, they came from England. Uh, he he came over when he was a little baby. Uh, my grandfather built two kingdom halls all by himself. By wow. his hands. My mother was religious, um, and, uh, and she was brought up by her grandmother, who was uh, religious. And in my early days, I went to Sunday school, went to the uh, United Church, uh, mainly for recreation. They, they had um, um, basketball, and they had the, the uh, workshops where uh, we uh, do crafts and woodworking. Yeah. And I thought that was great. In those days, it kept me out of trouble, kept me off the streets and, and all the rest. At any rate, during my youth, um, I guess I was a Christian, went to church, did all the things. I really didn't think too, too much about it. Didn't think, um, uh, just accepted what people said. There was yep. Jesus, there was uh, God. I sort of liked Jesus. I didn't like God, though. Uh, every time they talked about, <laughs> I, thought, I don't know, the message came across in Sunday school and in church that Jesus was the good guy, yep. and God, you better be, you know, watch your P's and Q's, otherwise yeah. you're going to be in big trouble. Good cop, bad Anyways, cop. <laughs> Cosmic good cop, yeah, bad cop. Yeah, good cop. <laughs> and later in life, I found that they're both the same, so yeah. uh, that's even more confusing. So I grow up, I, I, I've had a lot of uh, occupations. I've been a taxi driver, truck driver, uh, um, uh, I've done, been a spray painter. I've done all kinds of things. I did laboring jobs, I did semi-skilled jobs, Then find, and I got involved in the uh, United Steelworkers of America at the time when they had a lot of bargaining strength, and they, and they were a, a big, strong union. They had a lot of education programs. I took a six-month correspondence course to the Canadian Labor College. That was a struggle, I want to tell you. It was something that was new for me at that particular time. And uh, while I was driving taxi, I'd have all these books on sociology. They were piled up beside me uh, as I'm driving the, the taxi. Uh, or not driving the taxi, but uh, as <laughs> I'm waiting you stopped for a and call, waiting, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I'd be studying, writing my essays, and, and all the rest. I don't know if they still have correspondence courses these days. It's probably more on the computer, direct. But you'd have to send it away. You'd get your marks back. You'd mail it away. And uh, it was it was quite a chore, but it was quite a challenge. Anyways, that went on for six months. And then I, I earned a scholarship for a residential um, um, course in the University of Montreal, put on by the Canadian Labor College. 
I had to go into a, a bit of a competition, and I succeeded in getting that. That was a real experience. Then I took all kinds of night school courses and any educational course that the um, the, the union or the um, Canadian Labor uh, uh, Congress would put on. And through all of those, I, I started to get involved in many, many different things, whether it be politics, the, the union. I worked, ended up uh, working full-time for the union. And then that led me to elected office at the city of Hamilton. I became a, a, an alderman for 15 years. I ran for provincial office, and I, and I ran for um, uh, mayoralty. Um, I didn't get elected mayor, and I just uh, missed missed out uh, getting elected to the provincial legislature. So I think it was about 300 votes or something like that. I never know. Yeah, see, now you lost. I'm not sure whether to congratulate you or say my <laughs> condolences because <laughs> so much misery well, involved in those jobs. I, I want to tell you, it, it doesn't really matter because it's an experience yeah. that I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah, You grow every time you do something. Like some people would say, you know, well, oh, driving taxi, you know something? You learn a lot of sociology just driving taxi. Yeah. You, you meet some of the, you know, richest people in the world, highly educated, to everything in, right down, right in between. And you have experiences, that's life experiences. At any rate, all this while, I continued uh, to be a Christian, I guess. I wasn't a Bible-thumping Christian, but I believed in, in God. I believed in Jesus Christ. And uh, I just uh, accepted it. Yeah. Then one day I was watching a PBS station on television, and there was this woman on there, uh, Susan Jacoby. And I, I had no idea who she was, but I'm listening to her talk. And I said to myself, my, this is a very intelligent woman. And I'm listening to her and listening to her. And Bill Myers was, is the host or was the host. And this woman had written all kinds of books, and then I find out that she uh, written, had written, which I had no uh, idea, um, columns in a major newspaper about atheism. First of all, I always thought uh, an atheist was first some kind of bad person, yeah. and that they were <laughs> off like an isolated uh, individual, sort of divorced from the rest of society, some kind of curmudgeon or, or what have you. An anarchist and, uh, or uh, something, something terrible, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I started to read her books, and she, she's written several books. And the one book that, that really caught me was The Great Agnostic, uh, the uh, a book about the life of Robert Ingersoll. Uh, yeah. Now, that man, I'll tell you, if he was alive today and he was speaking anywhere in the world, I'd go to hear him speak. Yeah. He, he had the command of the English language. When he spoke, it was like poetry. Now, you don't have many speeches of him speaking anymore. You've got a few little bits of pieces of things, but um, other people have, have uh, dubbed his speeches, and they're and, and they're, they're terrific. I'll tell you that uh, he commanded the English language in, in in the years of the late 1800s, early 1900s, and that was a day when orators would go out and speak to the people and draw crowds. Well, did he ever draw crowds? I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and w at one one time, he drew 50,000 people. Wow. Chicago. <laughs> now, 50,000 people couldn't hear him speak. Apparently, he was able to be slightly heard by 10,000 people. I don't know what the other 40,000 people did, but he was, uh, I think, in a big open park or something with a band shell. At any rate, that's, that started me on a, on a, uh, a road where I started picking up these books by Hitchens and Sam Harris and uh, a whole slew of them. I must have read about 50, 60 books. And I started thinking more. And then 
Richard Dawkins' God Delusion, which has done it for all kinds of people. Yeah. At some point when I read I, at, through that book, at some point it was like an epiphany. And I said, geez, I must be an atheist. And <laughs> that changed my, my life. And you know something? It must have taken me 50 years. Cause, uh, I was about 61 or 62 when I, when I had that epiphany, I call it. And I, and I said to myself, well, what the heck it took me so long? And then I realized, you know, there's a lot of ordinary people out there that just go to church. They say that prayer, you know, uh, all the time, they, uh, over and over again. And they just mouth it, but they just go to church. But they're not really religious. Yeah. But they just, it's, it's expected of them. Just like yeah. I went to church, it was expected of me. And and I thought, geez, how could I how could I believe in all of this fantasy, <laughs> all this make believe? And so that's when it when it happened. And then I'll tell you, it's nice to get that monkey off your back. You feel totally yeah. free. Uh, you you know there's no heaven. At least in your mind, you know there's no heaven. I guess nobody can say for sure there's no heaven. But <laughs> you I, don't I'm have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. it's no longer an issue. No concern. It's it's not an issue. You live for today. You do the best you, you can, and you help people. Yeah. What is most important is people, not yeah. some mystical, in, invisible man in the sky. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do and if you do any of these 10 things he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time but he loves you I, and I went on a little bit too long there, but that's, <laughs> no, that's, how, great. that's how I ended up, um, you know, ended up being an atheist. And then I find out, hey, you know, these atheists are good people. They're, <laughs> there's good people who are religious, too. Just a little bit diluted, but they're good. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're not. They're not. And then there's some really scary people that are religious. And those are the ones that we really have to worry about. Well, these these misconceptions about you're a bad person because you're atheist, um, they're built up intentionally and unintentionally by various people. And you just kind of absorb it along with the other data as you go through the years. Um, for me, my background was a little bit more fundamentalist when I was younger. <laughs> um, so our minister used to actually just say, right, oh, right, atheists are trying to destroy the church. They're awful people. We can't trust them. Uh, humanists, secularists, he, he'll name, he's still preaching. He still names them all. Um, but I think even in churches where it's not like heated rhetoric like that, I think there's an implication just by saying God brings you morality, God brings you happiness, God brings you peace. Well, then if you're an atheist, then what does that mean? You don't have peace. You don't have morality. <laughs> well, I know a lot of religious folks. In fact, I, I, I quote um, some of them in my book. Uh, we have a, a, a rabbi here in Hamilton who I really look up to. Uh, I mean, obviously he's religious, but he's not only re religious, he's a very wise man. Yeah. And a lot of he, he writes a lot and he'll write a lot of articles for the Hamilton Spectator. Um, and if you just take out the few little references to God that he makes every now and then, and sometimes he's actually written a piece without any reference to God. And any atheist, humanist could adopt everything that he, ju he just says. 
So there are times when I appreciate a lot of what religious people say. There are other times, you know, we, we, we have a, a range, a scale, if you like, and it goes from, from one end to the other. And, you, and those on the extreme end scare the living dickens out of me. Those that are, are moderates, uh, I want to grab hold of them and shake them and, and try to wake them up. Uh, like, it's like they're sleepwalking. <laughs> and, and, like I was. I was just sleepwalking, just going through the whole thing. And get them to read the entire Bible. I often think atheists and, and, and these different groups who get upset because the Bible is being distributed. <laughs> the... The, the most convincing argument that anybody or, or any book can make to become an atheist is if you were to read the Bible and understand <laughs> what's being said in the Bible. That's, yeah. I, I could not believe it, honestly. I want to tell you, 20 years ago, if you were to say to me, there are certain things in the Bible, you know what I would have said to you? I would have said, you're a liar. Those things are not in the Bible. Of course, I had read the Bible. So yes. how I know. But how could they be, right? Exactly. <laughs> so after I started to read the Bible, I said to myself, what kind of God is this? This is a horrible God. This is not a loving God. And yet you go to church and they talk about this loving God. This is a murderous, monstrous, psychopathic, yeah. sociopathic, uh, insidious, horrible Whatever. I don't know what it, yeah. is, what it is, but they call it a God. No loving God could ever, ever do the things that he commanded and did that's read in the Bible. And yet people like me 20 years ago would say, you're a liar. There's nothing like that in the Bible. Have you read your Bible? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Have you read all of the Bible? Oh, no, no, I haven't read all of the Bible. Well, start reading. And it's also some people will say they've read through the Bible or more than once they've read through the Bible. You also have to be able to not read into it in that hazy, happy state of mind that everything's good and, and okay with it. When you read the part where God is like, and take these kids and bash their heads on the rocks, you have to be able to stop and go, wow, what does that mean? What am I reading here? <laughs> it, it, it's incomprehensible, quite frankly. But if, you, but if you're going to read the Bible, read it, um, it. First of all, the Bible is difficult to understand. Yeah. When I first picked up the Bible to read, uh, I guess I was 10 years old, and I started reading it, and none of it made any sense to me. The words were English, but I couldn't understand it. Uh, they they're, they're used words like begat and uh, uh, beside him, and, uh, and people lived to 950 years old, and, and it, it, none of it made any sense. In fact, when I, when I went to Sunday school, uh, some of the stories um, I thought were, ki were kind of ridiculous, the, yeah. the miracles, you know, they talked about the miracles. I, I always would wonder, you know, about that. It was like it was magic or something. <laughs> the only story in the Bible that I, is my favorite story, which seemed to be real and seemed to make sense, was the story of the Good Samaritan. There was no miracle. There was no uh, magic. There was nobody uh, 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 turning water into wine. There was none of that stuff. There was no raising of the dead. It was helping a person. It was yeah. interesting to people that— It's, a human, it's actually a humanist tale. Yeah, that's right. I like that story, and that's a, a story that's worth telling. And that's a, 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 the, the, the morality of that story is worth sharing. But that's only about, you know, you get 10, maybe 20 percent, 20% maybe I'm stretching it. 10% of the Bible would be that way. The rest of it would either be neutral or actually 80% of the Bible is horrible, horrible uh, stories. Well, people are told what to think about the Bible before they ever really look through it. 
Um, and it's presented like this was written by God. He used people, but basically God wrote this. He's given it to us. And it's even the way the book, the books are laid out are not chronological to the times they were written. So they're, they're created to already have a narrative and a flow that's not accurate to how it was compiled. There's just so much about it that people don't, they don't understand. Well, um, when I was telling you my life story, I, I left it off at the, uh, the trade union movement in the, in the political arena. Yeah. Uh, after I left the political arena, I became a, a mediator and arbitrator. And I still do that uh, today. I'm, a, I'm an arbitrator. And part of my book, I do a mock arbitration. It's not a real arbitration. <laughs> and, but the question is, is Jesus and God real? And we have one side representing uh, the, the positive, one side saying, uh, no, it's, uh, they're not real. Uh, and so I do a whole arbitration where the parties uh, argue their case, bring in expert witnesses, uh, explain their side of the story, and explain each, each side of the story, and then I, I make a, an evaluation. And I try to be extremely fair and, and argue the religious side as well as the atheist side. Neat. Uh, and, and, and one person who read the book told me, that that was what he, what impressed him most about the book was reading that mock arbitration decision. He said it put it put everything in perspective. Why religious people believe the way they do, and why an atheist believes the way they do. Yeah, or he does. That is a really neat approach. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> and and by the way, uh, an arbitration is the lowest test uh, that one has to prove. It's not like. Uh, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, it's just the, what is known as the balance of probabilities. Yeah. So they just have to. If, if you if you have in your mind that lady that holding the scales of justice with the blindfold over yeah. her, lady right, justice, yeah. All you need to prove your point is one little feather More. to move that yeah. scale, and that wins the case. So it's the it's the most it's the least amount of proof that you need. Whereas uh, other cases like beyond a reasonable doubt, you got to tip that scale quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I was just gonna say that it ends up in court with all kinds of stuff about uh, <laughs> arguing the case in in uh, in the real world. I think has less productivity because it's usually tied to something like courthouse put something up or or whatever. the The format of actually arguing the case uh, of the two perspectives, the actual perspectives, not the particular court case thing, is much more fascinating to me. I'm not well, sure. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly the case as it is, and it's it's not written entirely like a uh, an arbitration decision would be written because it it would be too dry. Uh, I, I I get into some testimony which is is not you wouldn't put that in an arbitration decision. You don't put the <laughs> the, the, the questioning right. yes yeah. and no and, and that. And I did that for the ordinary person, and and I also uh, tried to represent the religious side very clearly. Um, and uh, they make a, a, an argument that, you know, the, the Bible is, is well, it, they rely on the Bible for the history because there is no other history. You know, yeah. uh, the funny part about it, uh, just just get real for a second. And, uh, and just, all you got to do is think. You don't have to do anything more other than think. Think about this. <laughs> yeah. It's... If, if, if Mo is Moses, for example, we'll take this part. You can take any part. You, you know, whatever you want. <laughs> take, take this fellow Moses. If Omo was there and he said to the sea, separate, and you've got these thousands of people, not thousands, hundreds of thousands, some say millions, but let's say hundreds of thousands of people, witness the sea party. Never yeah. mind all the plagues and any one of his uh, fantastic uh, events. Wouldn't you think somebody would have written it down on clay tablets or, 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 or animal hides or the scrolls? I mean, 
all I all you have to do is to show me a sea party, <laughs> and uh, hey, I uh, you know you can do that. Uh, I'm a believer, but uh, nobody. Yeah. There is no record of it. No, no pottery. No it's, coins. No anything. Um, and it goes on and on and on and on. And it's, it's it's interesting these perspectives that people take because they can see the flaw in someone else. <laughs> it's human nature, right? When it comes to their on themselves, no, 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 no. I, I don't know what you're talking about. So, for instance, if you if you had a uh, you know a Baptist and you were talking about Mormons. And they're like, oh, those Mormons, they keep talking about their, their Book of Latter-day Saints. And clearly it's all fake because history, historians have shown archaeology, blah, blah, blah. And there's inconsistencies in the book and over here and over there. And then you're like, you know, they point out the same things about the Bible. I don't know what you're talking about. That's that's all biased. You can't believe that stuff. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that we have so many different religions. Yeah. And which one is right? And obviously we got this, uh, and we've had wars, and we've and we continue to have wars uh, over religious beliefs and that. I just cannot understand, quite frankly, if any thinking person um, would would realize that how could you have so many different religions, and some of them apparently are praising the same or, or praying to the same God, but they put them in, they just call them a different name, and yet. They want to wipe each other out yeah. immediately when you when somebody is born. If they're born into any kind of uh, any one of these religions, they've automatically got a number of you want to call them enemies, but uh, people who don't believe in their their god. Well, if you've got millions upon millions upon millions of people who all believe in different gods, and even the crazy craziest part about all of this is that the Christian religion has so many thousands of denom denominations, and they're saying. Well, those Presbyterians, you, you really can't trust them. And then the, the Baptists are, are, are complaining. And even the Baptists among the Baptists, you know, so many uh, sections of that. It gets to be really quite insane. And you wonder yeah. what goes on in a person's head, inside their head, if they were to dispassionately sit back and look at all of this yeah. and say, this is crazy. They've got, they, they, they've got to. But... But they don't. There's this fellow who wants to get a 60. I do go on. I'm sorry. But there's this fellow <laughs> no, no, who uh, wants to get the $65 million jet. Yeah. This <laughs> lady who belongs to the congregation is off to her job. She's getting, going to get on the bus. Works, at, I believe, as a waitress at a minimum wage job. And so the reporter asks uh, ask her, are you going to donate? Uh, what the heck's this guy's name? <laughs> Part of his name is Dollar, which is kind of amusing. Uh, <laughs> It must it must be a very large congregation, but she says, "Yeah, I'm. I, I, oh, yeah, he needs that sixty-five million dollar jet." And my my wife just shakes shakes her head when she saw the newscast on it. Sixty-five million dollars for a jet—that doesn't even include the cost of maintenance, the cost of landing fees, the cost of fuel the the, the jet, and 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 to fly the plane. Uh, oh, the maintenance—it goes on and on. And this poor this woman who can barely support herself, waiting for the bus to go to her job as a waitress, she's definitely going to be donating to the pastor's jet. Yeah, it, I, I don't understand it, and I guess I never will. Well, it's the, the understanding that I get for myself, um, having that evangelical sort of fundamentalist type of background, maybe it's a little easier for me because I know I, Smashlock, who sometimes does a show with me, my co-host, he, ha he had a religious background, but it's a lot more like you described where he went, he would go to church functions and stuff like that, but he was never like a fomenting literalist or anything. Right. Um, so maybe it's a little bit easier for me to kind of reflect back, um, on that, that mindset. It's just kind of a chilling, again, a chilling effect to go, Oh my goodness. I used to think in, th in that way or rather not think 
in that way. <laughs> um, well, you could, perhaps you can answer me a question because you were uh, a little uh, or deeper, yeah, uh, infected than I was. Uh, what happens to like at, at what point? Do you change your mind? And then what, what transforms in, in your head? Like if you believe so strongly one way and then like I, I didn't believe really strongly, but I believe. And then you go, we'll say just the opposite. Uh, do, you, do you suffer any kind of a shock? Um, well, I'll, I can tell you what, what happened for me. Um, I, but I, what I've learned is that it's a little different for everyone. And um, that's what makes it so difficult to kind of communicate with people like, like I used to be. So it's, it's a lot of programming. You're introduced to this stuff by your parents, your family, your community, right? And so when it becomes a, a literal thing, you're just kind of pre-programmed to hear words differently than they're being communicated to you. So someone's like, well, listen, you know, um, humanists, and then all you hear is devil, devil, devil. I've been convinced by the devil, 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 devil. <laughs> and you are right away thinking, this is what I need to tell the person about what I believe. And, and it tunes that out, right? So for me, what happened was there was a conflict in conscience. I was raised to care about people. I was raised very, you know, much about Jesus was not about racism. He was not about sexism. So those values were instilled, even if they were sometimes a little skewed about how they played out, like with gender roles and stuff like that. What happened was I went to university and I went, I went for theater. So I spent a few years around a great concentration of gay people. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, I started feeling because I, you know, I didn't want to bring it up in discussion, but sometimes, cause I was, I'm, I have a lot of friends. I'm a very likable guy. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a bragging now, but they yeah. would get into conversation with me. And then the subject would come up about whether homosexuality is healthy or sinful or whatever. And they would turn to me and go, well, you're a Christian. What do you think? Assuming I would have their side. And I go, you know, I'm sorry, but the Bible says it's a sin. It's an abomination. And eventually after this happened a few times, I started feeling really bad. I was like, you know, I feel just so horrible saying this. Like I, you know, I had better check this out, you know, because I've been told my whole life, this is the way it is. If that's true, it should be able to stand up some rigor. And so that conflict caused my first step towards questioning something. And once that first block started to fall, it made enough doubt to create fissures in other things based on what else I felt conscious about, you know, um, do women need to have these specific gender roles? Uh, our relations between men and women, you know, this way, Does, did history really work that way? And it just starts <laughs> the, the domino effect, right? Well, that, that's, that's, that's what I believe is that if a person who is a believer actually reads something else uh, other than what they're told at, at church, a lot of people don't even, as we've already discussed, don't read the entire Bible. Uh, they do believe what their parents tell them. They do believe what the, their pastor tells them, the preacher or whatever, their priest, uh, their rabbi. And uh, they respect those people. They come up uh, showing respect for them. And so it's embedded. That's a good word. Embedded. Yeah, yeah. In their brain, sort of like uh, a cow is branded. Now, it's it's seared into their brain. And to, to it's, it's, all, it's almost difficult to remove it. It's like yes. a tattoo. You know? So it's not an easy thing to do. I like talking to really, and this may sound strange, I like talking to religious people uh, because what happens is they get themselves tied up in knots uh, through a, a discussion once you, you, you start to have a, a discussion. And, and, they, and they have no more arguments, and they just seem to end the, the, the discussion. I have Jehovah Witnesses come to my uh, door. They don't come anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm disappointed now. Uh, they, they used to come all the time, and I would shut the door. No, I don't want any of that. But then, as I started reading things, I started reading their, their material. And uh, even though my grandfather was a Jehovah Witness, I, I didn't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses at all, other than they, they come knocking at your door. They always come in, in almost always in, in two, never in one. Uh, and one's the experienced one, and one's the learner. And they always want to give you this stuff to, to read. And I say, okay, yeah, give me that. I'll read it. However, when you turn the tables on them and say, would you read some of my material? Because at that particular time, I was in the throes of writing my book. And yeah. so I had pages of stuff. And, uh, oh, no, 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 they put up their hands and they back away. Yeah. And, uh, and the one fellow, the, the experienced one, uh, showed me a passage in the Bible. I can't even remember what it was. And it didn't make a heck of a lot of sense. I happened to have my Bible sitting on the kitchen table. And my Bible's got all these little tiny tabs that I, I stick on there, uh, certain passages, the, the real bad ones. And so I said, oh, hang on a second. I want you to help me now, since you're an expert in the Bible, and I don't know very much about the Bible. So I, I brought the Bible out and said, would you explain some of these? And they were really nasty, the nasty parts about, you know, the, the Psalm, I think it's Psalm 137, throwing the, uh, the babies against the, the wall. Yeah. Uh, and, and be happy about it. You know, be happy yeah. about throwing the babies against the wall and smashing them. And uh, so I would ask them about some of these passages, and they didn't really want to talk about it. They just backed away. So I asked the inexperienced one, I said, look, it, I'll take your stuff and I'll read it. Isn't it fair that you take my material and read it? Yeah, the guy looked at him, the, the, the senior guy, if you like, yeah. looked at the junior guy and gave him a stare. And the, the, the junior guy just backed away from me and they started back walking away. I said, well, wait a minute. Come on in and have a cup of tea. We'll sit down. We'll discuss. We'll go over the Bible. And they said, no, no, we'll drop some more material off for you. Well, they did. And they stuck it in my mailbox. And, but I've never seen them since. This was about a, ooh, about a year ago now. <laughs> the people I feel the most sad when, when there's a there's a sadness to it when I see that they have based so much of their perception of happiness uh, on these beliefs they have. Um, for instance, uh, you know they'll talk about loved ones that have died and how that they're going to be reunited with them in the afterlife and they're all they're going to be in heaven and stuff like that. Now there, there's a time and a place for me to poke holes, right? That's one that I don't poke. If they're talking about someone that's died that they love, I'm not going to start an argument. <laughs> start an argument there. I was a captain of industry, feared by men, adored by women. Ah, adored. Let's be honest, Lou. You paid for the women. I'm warning you, Frank. Don't waste your life as I did mine. Waste? How can you say that? You're a legend in this business. You're the man who invented the miniseries. Mankind should have been my business. Charity, mercy. Kindness, that should have been my business. Don't wait. Get yourself involved. But there's a sadness when I'm hearing it because I'm like, you have no basis for this belief. It, it makes you happy, but if you ever question it, it'll just fall over. Like, build your happiness on something you, you, can, you can find out. Well, look, I also address that part in my book. I give a section to that. The fact that one of the articles written in The Spectator by the rabbi, I put that, the rabbi I talked about earlier, Rabbi Baskin, he put a delightful piece in there about death and dying. Now, I see religion playing a role there. They've, 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 they've almost cornered the market, but not entirely. And where people lost a loved one and they go to, uh, uh, to get um, some comfort. And religious people comfort them. They always have a lot, an awful lot to say about God and Jesus and heaven and all the rest. But what is comforting to a person when they've lost a loved one? It's not that it's God and heaven and all the rest. It's that there are friends around around them. Yeah. And they're showing sympathy. They're showing empathy. They're, they're, they're there to support them. Because 
you just fall apart if you, if you lose someone that you're very very close and you just your, your brain doesn't work you can't do things properly yeah. you need help you need support you need comfort people family friends uh, associates and who genuinely are there to uh, see what they can do in, in your time of sorrow okay some of those folks don't have anybody so the church plays that role and uh, gives them if you like a shoulder to cry upon um, and uh, and it, it gives them some comfort it gives them some relief which is not a bad thing which is a good thing we can do that as people and we do do it as people and that you don't need a god or or you don't need a heaven uh, to, to have that but it does provide them with comfort yeah uh, and my only point there is the, the, the latter of these where you're, you're giving them real life support. And, uh, as, as opposed to talking about the next life is it's not, a, it's not a dream. It's not delusional. You can find your way again, uh, accepting life with death as a part of it. And it's not, it's never gonna be something pleasant. I mean, obviously we struggle as a species, let alone individuals to, to mitigate as much as we can, because that's how well, unpleasant it is. <laughs> Look, I mean, I've lost relatives, and it's a funny thing about um, mourning. It hits people at different times. You could be in the funeral home. You could be listening to the, to somebody speak, uh, or you could be all alone at home, or you could be anywhere. And, you, yeah. and all of a sudden, it just comes right over you, and, and you can't control it. It just it, And I've had it happen to me on several occasions, and not only with people. We almost lost our little our little dog, yeah. who's who's just uh, I love him to bits. He's brought more joy and more laughter, uh, and he's just so much fun. We almost lost him a few years ago. Well, uh, it was like losing a, a member of the family. Uh, and but fortunately, uh, he had an operation, and he's still with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's not he's not going to doggy heaven yet. Yeah, I. So that's the the kind of go to. Um, when it comes to people not being, you, you, okay, you mentioned parables earlier. Parables is one of the funny ones for me because I've had this discussion. My, by the way, my brother's a minister. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you, you and he, he must have some interesting conversations or do you converse? Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. We, we still talk openly and there's a mutual respect. Like I don't tell him, you know, you're undermining people's ability to, to deal with reality. I don't say things like that to him. If we have a discussion about a particular issue, we'll narrow it in on that issue. I accept the fact that he sees the world the way he does. And, uh, I think actually it must be harder for him because he must feel on some level, I might go to hell. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, and, and, and one thing, if I may have misled, if any of the, your listeners may uh, may have misinterpreted what I said, um, uh, when I, I like talking to religious uh, people and that uh, more for the, the debate and discussion, uh, I respect people's people's opinions. I respect people's uh, uh, right to believe in whatever they want to believe. Yeah. It, does, it has it has absolutely no effect on me at all. I look at the person I talk to the to the individual. Now, if we want to talk about specific things about religion. I'll talk about specific things. Uh, I very uh, seldom raise it. Usually, if somebody knows I'm an, an atheist, if they're a, a very religious person, they'll raise the issue. Yeah. Uh, then uh, I won't back down. This problem uh, is uh, some humanist uh, atheists. Uh, they don't want to uh, deal with it. Well, I'm a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll deal with it. I'll talk, but I won't force any of my beliefs on anybody. Not even my children or anybody else. I'll tell you what I believe. Yeah. I'll argue my position. When I say argue, now there's a funny word too. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I, 
the person who I'm going to dive, divert for a second. Maybe sure, I'll get back yeah. on track. Yeah, yeah. The, the individual who wrote the foreword to my book is Professor uh, Christopher DiCarlo. Uh, he's he's an atheist, and uh, he's written a, uh, an interesting book. It's called How to How to Be a Really Good Pain in the Ass. And what it's about is asking critical questions or critically thinking, asking the right questions and thinking critically. So he wrote this book, and he has a little part about ignorance um, and or, or arguing and to put forth your arguments. Well, interestingly enough, people misinterpret words. You can say one word. Yeah. And all of a sudden, a person will hang everything else that you've said right on that one word. Yep. And you were speaking about your brother. Well, I was having a discussion with my brother, and and I said to him, what are your, your arguments for, the, for holding that position? And he says, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to tell you what I believe. <laughs> I says, well, that's the same thing as presenting your arguments. Yeah. Well, there was, you know, so... Uh, uh, Christopher DiCarlo wrote a piece about <laughs> how people present their positions, present their arguments, and it takes only one word yeah. that can derail somebody. Somebody can, like abortion. You can say abortion and you can set some people right off. Yeah. And away they go. <laughs> Any, anything else you say after that, forget it. Yeah. Because they're not listening to you. Sometimes and they're it, yelling. And I, and I find this very. <laughs> I find this with the religious uh, folks uh, so much more so than almost anybody else, except some fanatics who might be a sports fanatic, <laughs> if you challenge their, their favorite football team or something. And you're speaking of the here and now, two people raised usually in the same type of, of uh, cultural influences, speaking contemporary language. Well, this is a good illustration of how much harder the Bible is to understand. I know, for instance, I just heard, I, I watched a documentary about homosexuality uh, like a week ago. And one of the sections they go into ministers who say it's not a sin and they explain their arguments, why the Bible is misinterpreted or misunderstood or something like this. And the one is actually talking about the word abomination has taken on a completely different cultural meaning now. And he starts going into it. And like, so what average reader is going to ever guess that? No, it, it's, it's <laughs> so, so actually the Bible that I have is a very old Bible. I think it was, I think it was printed in 1936, the King James Bible. And in the, it's, it's, they don't make Bibles the same like this today. In the back of the Bible, it's got all these pictures and descriptions in words that, that explain things. And these are words that I have never ever heard of before in my life. But uh, they, they try to interpret what the, the Bible means. And it's, it's very, as, as you say, people just picking up the Bible. Actually, you know, what the atheists, uh, different uh, organizations, like perhaps reading from Religion Foundation, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest organization uh, yeah. in the world, although Richard Dawkins' uh, organization might uh, be catching up. Uh, at any rate, uh, if, the, if they could all get together and write or use the Bible and then interpret the Bible, back to back, like page to page to page, uh, and then <laughs> hand them out of schools to see, <laughs> see what kind of a commotion that would cause. <laughs> yeah, it's, and uh, what I was going to say before, um, the uh, the stories that Jesus tells, the parables, is another good example of, I've had this, I, this is the discussion I have with my brother, where once I said, don't you think that the Bible might be a collection of stories that maybe, you know, especially in the Old Testament, I said, maybe they were not meant to be taken like we write stuff now. When people write stuff down historically now or even start a religion now, there's a modern focus as to why you're writing it, what the context is. So maybe in the Old Testament, this collection of works that have been 
put together. That wasn't the focus to be historically accurate. Maybe it's a story like a myth that has truth in it. And even though the story never happened. And he looks at me and goes, well, that's not, no, it's historically accurate. Otherwise it'd be a lie. I said, but the Bible has parables in it. Uh, isn't that a lie? He's like, no, that's a parable. <laughs> well, often, often throughout my book, I say that uh, all of these prophets and uh, words so, so-called coming from God and Jesus, they talk in riddles. Why they would talk in riddles, I say riddles, so you can use some other terminology. Why would they make it so difficult for yeah. the ordinary person, especially back in those days, if, they, if this was really the word of God? Okay. Yeah. Why would he make it so difficult for now? If I use the word ignorant, there are some people <laughs> who are going to say, "Well, he's he's meaning they're rude." That's another word that I had a problem with my brother with. You know, I I told him he was ignorant of the facts, and he says, "I'm not ignorant." What do you? I said, "Well, all I mean is you don't know the facts." You know, yeah. and uh, why a a so-called supreme being? who could bring all of the universe, all of the world, all of humanity into existence, would rely on some stupid, uneducated people to send his message to the other stupid, uneducated people. <laughs> and they were stupid. They were ignorant. They were they, they didn't have, have the knowledge that we have today or even in the 19th, 18th century. You know, uh, we learn a lot through science, experimentation, experience, life's uh, thing. We, we learn that, uh, you know, that the sun um, is, uh, uh, you know, uh, doesn't revolve around the, the earth and that the, the earth is not the center of the universe and, and so on. We learn these things. They didn't know those things back in, in those days, so they can be forgiven that. But why, if there was a message, why didn't they make it clear? And this is what I'm trying I'm trying to do with my my little contribution to this whole discussion is to write a book that's simple but clear. Uh, I I can't get away from using some of these larger words because as I was going through all these books, science and religion have their own terminology. You and you can't just make up new terminology. You got to use their ter- terminology and then explain what their tom- terminology actually means. And this is what I attempt to do. I attempt to do it with humor too throughout the the book. And uh, but my 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 humor sometimes goes right over people's heads. And, uh... <laughs> I've been catching it. I think it sounds like uh, the con- the context is going to be uh, highly relatable. Well, it, 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 I, I try to make it reader reader friendly, and um, but there are there are serious parts uh, throughout the book. But it's it's all interspersed. Yeah. And uh, you were saying about quotes, you know. Oh, let me tell you a couple of stories. Yeah. That's got nothing to do with the the book per se, but it has to do with uh, religion. You know. I had a friend uh, who also is, uh, he, he, he was brought up on the wrong side of the tracks, but he was a good person, uh, but he wouldn't tolerate any nonsense, and he, 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 he had no fear. He had no fear of, well, because he didn't believe in any God or anything like that. Uh, he, belie- he actually believed that there was some kind of creator, but he was not religious at all, and he didn't believe in any, the, the God that we talk about. His friend, a lifelong friend, um, and, and then later in life, his friend was suffering from these flashbacks. His friend was Catholic, and he was molested uh, by a priest. Uh, it's a horrible story, but and it didn't come back really affecting him until later in life. And then he had a lot of problems dealing with it. And my friend um, wanted to to help him, and he did. He did certain things. They had counseling and all the rest, but it wasn't it was satisfactory. To make a long story short. They got a bus, and they plastered signs all over the bus. 
and uh, about uh, the priest molesting the kids and, and all the rest. And they would go to the cathedrals on Sunday as the congregation was walking in. And they would walk, simply, they simply placed the bus, the sign said it all, in front of the, the, the cathedral, and they would just be outside in case anybody wanted to talk to them. And that's all they did. Well, of course, the, the, the priest didn't like that. The, the churchgoers didn't like it. And they got a little bit of tiny publicity in the spectator. Now, that's not such a, a big deal of a story, but let me tell you what happened one day, he told me. <clears throat> and whenever I tell this story, even the atheists, they say to me, no. He didn't do that, did he? And there, and I'll come to it in a minute, I'm giving you almost the punchline before I tell you the story, but the punchline is still to come. This is the reaction that most people would have. Religious people, ordinary people, non-religious people, and even atheists. Now, they should not have this reaction, but they do. They're human. This is what happened. The priest and my... Not the priest that did the molesting of this, but just a priest yeah. uh, was in a dentist's office. The same dentist as my friend. The priest is already in there, sitting there, waiting for his turn to go in to the, see the dentist. And my friend comes in, sits down right beside the priest. And he looks at the priest, and he says to the priest, You're not one of those priests that diddle the, 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 uh, the boys in the, in the church, are you? Well, <laughs> 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 there, was some, there was a couple other people in the dentist's office. And they heard that, and they, they were shocked. And the priest, he almost had a heart attack. He just got so red in the face, he was ready to explode. And my, my friend says, well, uh, are you or are you not? Now, <laughs> all the priest had to say, if he had his wits about him, was, no, I'm not one of those priests. And what has happened in the Catholic Church with in regards to the molestation is a terrible thing. And something has to be done. And I'm trying my best to make sure that that kind of thing is not repeated, et cetera. You know, that would have been a proper response. And my, my friend would have said, well, I'm glad to hear that. But no, the, the whole response has been through this whole mess, even through the United Nations uh, report. The, uh, on the Catholic Church was to ignore, deny, defend, uh, move priests around. Uh, it, 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 they have a horrible record. At any rate, when I tell that story to atheists, some atheists say to me, no, he never said that, did he? I says, he certainly did because he had no fear, but also he was been, he's, he's really angry with what happened to his friend. Yeah. Uh, because you know, I'm not going to go into that, but that's, you know, you've, you've already heard. All yeah. That. Life's, this is, again, one of those things that life is altered forever. Yeah, forever. And and, and it's the same with uh, the, the, the poor Indian uh, folks uh, in all of those schools uh, all across Canada. Uh, they've been scarred. They've been hurt. And uh, they have to live with that. Uh, and uh, But anyways, that, that that's a, a story that I, 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 I'm a little closer to yeah. than some of the other ones. My, I remember years ago, this is when I was still a believer, but I, I, for me, I should have probably said I went through a transition of uh, conservative believer, uh, conservative and fundamentalist believer. Then in university, I became a liberal and uh, a hippie spiritualist. And now I consider myself a skeptic and a humanist, which is case by case. Let's reason it out and focus on what's important. Uh, but back when I was still a believer, my friend at the time, he's Catholic. He was really upset. He's like, I am so tired of people saying, because he was Catholic, that you know, every time a discussion comes up and I say anything about being Catholic, so I always write to the priest thing, oh, the priest, the priest. And I said, well, don't you think it's an important issue? <laughs> and uh, so after he calmed down from my initial response, I said, you know, I, I said, it's not my church. But I'll tell you, 
if I were in a church that was as much notoriety as yours, and this has been going on, I wouldn't back away from it. This is a chance to clean house. If you want your church to be what you say you want it to be, you have to be willing to out these people and to go through the pain of undoing this damage. Uh, but he just didn't see it that way. I, and I, even now I'm looking back like, uh, I guess my naivety at the time is I thought it was limited mostly to the Catholics. I didn't realize how other religious groups have the same kind of secrecy involved in it. But Well, you know, I've come to this conclusion after all of this, and um, th this is where uh, uh, I guess the religious people are going to be very upset. But I've tried to take a look at religion and then I, and take a look at atheism slash humanism. Now, you can't always uh, put atheism and humanism in the same um, category. Yeah. I would say uh, most, if not all, humanists are either agnostic or atheists. But not all atheists are humanists. Uh, so there's 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 a bit of a difference there. But anyway, I classify myself as an atheist humanist, yeah, sec secularist, whatever you want to say. But uh, when I look at religion, for example, I see an institution that wants to control control the flock, if you like, yeah. control control their mind, control their behavior, and set up a bunch of rules that you have to obey. You've got to obey this. Obey this, but and as you said earlier, you know you you you've been conditioned. Yeah. So I see religion as, as that that's one of their elements, as they want to control, condition, and set in your your brain and tell you how to behave. And if you don't behave that way, well, watch out because uh, you're going to go to hell and you're going to burn for the rest of your life in pain and agony. <laughs> now juxtapose that with humanism, atheism. I see atheism as freedom. Freedom of what? Freedom of thought, freedom from religion, and unconditional, whereas religion is conditional. Yeah. And if you don't follow the conditions, a lot of times they'll just shun you, they'll um, excommunicate you, they'll actually, uh, you may have heard <laughs> uh, recently about, um, what the heck's this fellow's name now? He's, a, he's from uh, Toronto, um, he's bald, he was on CFRB. Corcoran, Corcoran, uh, forget his first name. <laughs> he was uh, a devout Catholic, and he had a, um, a, a, a dilemma of conscience. Yeah. Same as you, by the way. It uh, had to do with uh, gays and homosexuals. Yeah. He could not, like, bear anymore the treatment that the Catholic Church was given homosexuals. And he decided to quietly, at first, leave the Catholic Church. But he was still a religious person, so he joined the Anglican Church. He yeah. wrote a book. He wrote a book about this. Yeah, this is sounding familiar for me already. <laughs> so he joined the Anglican Church, and he received more hate mail on his email and uh, personal attacks. Traitor! He's a traitor. From the Catholics <laughs> for leaving the the church and 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 also leaving the church because of his belief that homosexuals should be treated just like everybody else. You know? Yeah. Uh, he, he he figures they're human beings, just like we're human beings, and they should be treated like human beings. Yep. Well, some people didn't agree with him. And, no. Uh, Let us pray. Defender of the human race, look down in pity upon this, your servant. Shut up your ass, you worthless piece of shit! Ah! 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 Holy Lord. Your mother isn't here with us, Harris. Would you like to leave a message? I'll be sure that she gets it. Yes, Mom, will you get out of there, please? You're no fun. I'm working. See you later, Mrs. Harris. 
Holy Lord, Almighty Father, and ah! ever isn't that it? But that that's one, one one thing, you know. The other thing is, I can't help but think when I when I look at religion, um, all, all across, generally speaking, you know, uh, specifics may be different, but so much of their preaching is hate. Now, the religious people are going to say, "Whoa, wait a minute, we preach love." Gee, I see an awful lot of hate that goes on in the world with religion. They preach, um, or they instill guilt, yep. and shame, and fear, and ignorance, and pain. When I say pain, uh, well, ISIS does an awful lot of physical pain, but uh, the religions over here, when I say over here, I'm talking about the, you know, the, the traditional religions, emotional pain. Emotional pain that sometimes lasts for years, and you never get rid of it. Uh, you, you just have this pain. Whereas humanism really promotes love. We do. Um, I really don't hate people. I find it's hard to hate. Uh, uh, even even some of those ISIS uh, characters. Um, the, the, the body chopping people. and Yeah. Because um, if, if you were to be, like Jesus did preach some good stuff. And I don't think you can succeed if you have hate in you. If you hate people, I don't see how you can be successful. Uh, in in any way at all, in building yeah. a better society, building better people, you can't go around hating people. It's it's sort of uh, like we're talking about biases. It's sort of a really destructive bias that whenever it comes up is going to tilt away your behaving and seeing things. Yeah, uh, 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 this would be a tough uh, tough discussion uh, if you were dealing with ISIS and uh, and those uh, radical uh, Muslims and that. But even their religion, I'll tell you, uh, what is written in there, if you were to follow everything, well, if you were to follow everything in, in the Christian Bible, too, if you were to follow everything <laughs> in all of those holy books, you know, there's an awful lot of hate in there. And, and Yeah, well, that's, that's really the goal, right, is to get Muslims to, to be more like modern uh, Christians and, and the people who follow the, the Jewish uh, faith is to not take it so literal and so serious. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really well, the long-term goal here, isn't it? Well, there's a, there's a movement in, in particularly in the states of uh, try, uh, trying to revamp Christianity, and uh, the Catholic Church, keep, uh, one of the branches of Christianity, the Catholic Church, keeps trying to reinvent itself and, and changes the rules. The rules ten years ago were different than the rules today, and and and, and I guess they're, they're they're getting modernized, um, but uh, coming along. I mean, they've got a long way to go. But humanism, I believe, promotes friendship. Now, yeah. I suppose you could say that religion, in some respects, you know, you get together. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why people go to church is because uh, you have community there. And, and, uh, and they may not even be religious, but they, they, they enjoy uh, meeting the other folks. One of the things most important is that humanism and atheism promotes learning and education right across the board and an advancement and responsibility. Well, if you take a look. We'll take a look at the radical religions, uh, and you can do, and they can be the Jewish Orthodox, and you can they could be the ISIS. There's only one for them, yeah. and anything else, it's it, it's it's a it's a um, it's a non-starter. Uh, it's in the case of um, the the radical Muslims, it's off with your head. Well, who can li- who who can live with that? Uh, apparently, they can live with that, but um, who can espouse any kind of religion that would promote? That kind of hatred, that kind of uh, atrocity. That was like back before uh, Barack Obama got in trouble for saying this. That's what, like the Christians were in the Crusades and the uh, Inquisition. Yeah. Well, 
Christians didn't like to hear that. (laughs) What I don't understand is why people don't want to hear the truth. I mean, he wasn't lying. I mean, those are historical facts. Those are not made up uh, stories. That's right. Uh, But uh, people want to forget things. You can't forget history. You can't forget the Holocaust. You can't uh, forget um, the, the Crusades. But you sure can repeat them. And what's happening now is it, it looks like we may be into a situation when we're going to repeat that if we fall into the trap of ISIS. But um, that's that's a debate for another uh, time. It's yeah. certainly not a debate that's in my book, uh, not, not to that extent. There's also a lot of good, not perfect, but a lot of good parallels with the Reformation with Christianity and the infighting with Islam right now. And as it's been practiced for a long time, but it's getting really horribly bad in their countries where you would think that the worst enemy is Christians. But actually, from what I understand, they often hate each other uh, more than they hate the Christians. Christians, you know, are kind of just fodder in the middle. Well, that, that kind of thing is heating up and it's it's rampant all over. And one of the, of course, the good good news is that more and more people are beginning to realize the the re- ridiculous um activities and beliefs and habits uh of of religious groups religious organizations religious yeah. institutions um so you know really the future of this world relies uh, or rests with humanism as far as i'm concerned because uh, it it promotes um as I, I say love and friendship as it it, it it's it's really promotes life and science accountability and reason we don't believe in some afterlife uh, <laughs> you know uh, there's so much to do in this life why uh, spend so much time worrying about an afterlife yeah we've got so much to do right here and now and and you know I, when i think of all the people well I'll, they say well i'll pray for you well no don't pray for me roll up your sleeves and get to work never mind praying you know it, Praying just doesn't do any good at all. It may uh, do some good for, for the person that's doing the praying, but uh, in terms of their psychological effect. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, I prayed to God a long, long, long time, and uh, I never heard him talk to me. He never talked to me, and uh, I never <laughs> well, heard see, any. That, that's good because if he's talking back to you, even well, a lot like, of even a lot of believers will go, uh, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. People, have, people, have you ever have you ever met someone who believes they're hearing from God and angels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have. I and uh, it, it it's scary. Yeah. Um, they they believe it, and uh, but uh, if you have a belief strong enough, then uh, you'll believe believe anything, and you, you're not going to you know, change a person's mind. Uh, but I I keep trying in in a, a reasonable sort of way. I don't uh, yell and holler or scream or yeah, it doesn't get you anything. No, that that doesn't work. You know, I I may uh, my volume may go up and down, but uh, it's not uh, uh, to the extent of being <laughs> some of these preachers and these megachurches. I'll tell you when when you watch them preach. Well, uh, you said you were a fundamentalist. Uh, yeah. If you watch some of those American fundamentalists preach, I have to say, you know, it's either a great big act or they're truly insane. However, what scares me even more is the people that come there. They for the entertainment. They they must get a high off of all of that, and it must uh, allow them to continue on for the week because the adrenaline must get going so so much that they must walk out of those uh, sessions. Wow, I'm I'm pumped up and ready to go and preach Jesus Christ's word, or, uh, and uh, until next week, and then we'll get another shot of adrenaline, and uh, we'll give them uh, some of our money, 
uh, whether we've got the money or not. We'll just <laughs> help that uh, pastor get that $65 million jet, you know. Yeah. There's and there's a commonality with some other phenomenon. It's really, I think, just the form that it takes where, okay, some people who have some pretty wild conspiracy theories, um, if you, the narrative is kind of, it says there's this thing that most people don't know. They're all asleep. But if you're listening, you know, and you're part of the solution, this, you know, few of us who are going to break through and we're going to change the world against this, you know, and religion has that same basic narrative where people get very excited. They think that, you know, I'm, I'm one of the few people who, you know, really knows about this. I'm going to make this big difference. Um, all I have to do is give a hundred dollars here, a hundred dollars there. Well, my mother used to do that. Um, uh, as she got uh, older and she started to lose her her sensibilities. Um, she, she, she was living alone in an apartment and I would, uh, come over there and bring her food, cook her meals. And, uh, she was still able to do some things, but she was giving her money away. What little she had, uh, to the, to various, uh, uh, television preachers and, and all the rest. Yeah. She, uh, you, you may have heard, uh, you, you're, you're too young to know, but you may, you may have heard of Oral Roberts. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yes. School to, and everything. Yep. Yeah. And he used to heal people. Uh, hit him on the head, knock him on the floor, yeah. and uh, then um, he'd get up and he'd be healed. Uh, but my my mother, all her, her life, would be giving money away to different religious groups and what have you, and uh, money that she didn't have, she needed for food and, and all the rest. But um, she was she was sucked in that way, and there's yeah. nothing that well uh, in, in near the end when when she was incapable of uh, managing her, her finances and taking care of herself, uh, uh, her sister, my aunt. And I took over her finances because otherwise she wouldn't have had a penny. Oh, that's sad too. These people, yeah. they, they work uh, and they, they have a limited, like you say, at the end, they often have a limited fixed income. And these people will like zoom in on people like that. With, with, with not, not even the slightest bit of conscience either. Drink of water. <laughs> Actually, it's a good thing I'm drinking water because if I was drinking my favorite uh, hard liquor, Jack Daniels. I might, <laughs> I might start getting a little incoherent and a little louder. <laughs> no, you'd be, Irish. you'd be Irish. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be Irish. Uh, you were talking about a quote. You know, I have something I wouldn't mind quoting if yeah. uh, if you can tolerate it. Let's Absolutely. See. I shouldn't say tolerate it. Uh, let me see. I got three little parts uh, marked in my book. Oh, one is a very, very simple quote. And you probably heard it. And, and, and I have different quotes from people um, uh, throughout the book. This is uh, Stephen Weinberg. And this is so apropos, but I don't think the religious people get it. And he says, with or without religion, with or without religion, you would have good people doing good things and evil people doing evil things. But for good people to do evil things, that takes religion. Yeah. Now. <laughs> All you have to do is give that quote to a religious person, and the fireworks should begin. Yes. <laughs> I don't think they get it, but that would start the basis of a discussion. Um, all these debates that take place between the experts, I call them experts, whether they be scholars, theologians, or whatever they are, the, the, the most uh, common topic of debate is, did Jesus exist or did God exist? Is there a God? That sort of thing. And then they argue that. Uh, both sides. And there's been so many of those debates, you know. But this uh, quote, I would like to see that as the uh, the point for a debate, you know, that it takes religion uh, for good people to do evil things. Yeah, it, and it makes so much sense once you start 
having a better understanding. Like for myself, I had to have the understanding because I needed to come to terms with why I used to see the world that way. Like, how is this, how is it possible? I used to think this way. And, uh, that, that sense of what would have been in, in nature, if that had never been programmed or conditioned into me in my environment, uh, this is good. I see this it seems good. This seems bad. I try to be a good person, a bad person, but that programming starts changing whether you see what's in front of you, right? Like, this should come off as good, but you've been programmed preemptively to interpret it as not good. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it needs to be repeated again. I said, probably said it earlier, but there are a lot of very good religious people. Yes. There are, uh, and they believe in, in what they believe, but a lot of strange things happen when, when religious people get fanatical yep. and we've, we've seen lots of evidence of that. They take other people's money. Uh, they don't take it by putting their hands physically in their pocket. Yeah. But they get a control of their mind. They get a control of this promise that they're not going to go to hell, that they're going to go to this blissful place called heaven. And they believe it. And they steal their money. They steal their hope. And they, they, they believe this. And, and there's been billions and billions of dollars. Not only that, of course, religion has this privilege place in our tax laws where they get tax-free benefits for their, their churches, their land that they sit on, and many other tax-free. I had a discussion with a religious person once. He said, well, if we weren't given, we give so much back to the community. Well, I said to them, look, you give so much back to the community. All right. You, you put money into the church every Sunday. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. How, whatever money you put in, that's, that's fine. Let me ask you this question. If the tax, if the churches were to pay taxes, that goes to the government. Yeah. Okay. If the uh, whatever salary or uh, the the pastor gets, they wouldn't be getting that. Now the money that you you put into the dish or whatever, however you give it, that they go, has to go to pay for some of the the, the church uh, pastors and priests and so on. It also has to maintain the building. It has to heat the building. Uh a lot of these, especially the Catholic Church, has huge amounts of wealth all yeah. stored away. If you weren't going to church and there were no churches, would you not still be giving your money to good causes that are not religious? For example, all of those organizations that are out there that are doing good work in your community, in the world, yeah. if you still give, think of all the more money that they would have that would be available both to the government and more taxes— and also all of this upkeep that uh, in, in, in salaries and, and wealth and, and all the rest that is, is the a, overhead. A, apparently, some, <laughs> some, at, at some attempts have been tried to um, determine what that would be. In the States, in the United States, they say that'd be $84 billion. Wow. So 84 a year, $84 billion for, goes now for tax relief, um, for the churches, and for various other uh, benefits. $84 million in taxes, one way or another, would end up in the government's hands. Okay, so that would... Ha now, people say, oh, yeah, but... but uh, uh, and the other thing, by the way, is if the churches didn't exist, something else would be on that land, probably a, a commercial or residential uh, premises, and they would in turn be paying taxes, too. Yeah. So, there, uh, uh, so there'd be more taxes going in. Anyways... Uh, <laughs> The, 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 the whole the whole issue of, um, uh, of benefits to the, to the community through churches. There are so many organizations out there doing good work, uh, and they don't need religion to do it. And uh, we we could list thousands of them. Yeah, I actually have a charity page with some that I put up there, educational, yeah. or they directly help people medical needs or getting fed. 
Um, let me read something that's a little bit, uh, it's near the end of my book. And, and, and if I could get this out, then this is the message for the future, okay? Um, and this is what I, uh, I say near the end of my book. If we are to ensure the world will become a safe, sane, and progressive place, we must realize our responsibility, both personal and collectively. If superstition, dogma, and religions remain as the dominant force, they will surely destroy what hope remains. Now, let me just intervene. In uh, we can see that happening. Some of us can see that happening with the, the crisis with the ISIS, yeah. the crisis in the Catholic Church, the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And by the way, there's another big, big commission that's completing their work in Australia on yeah. the same horrible issues. We can see this all around the world, but there is a hopeful sign because secularism is growing and, uh, and, and religion is dropping, at least in most of the areas. Okay, so I, 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 I deviated a bit. So it destroy what hope remains, and I believe that. A world guided by reality, science, and humanism is more likely to advance the human race and sustain our world for future generations than a world guided by superstition, fate, and an invisible deity. If life in this world is to thrive and if people expect a future filled with enjoyment, health, and happiness, we must accept a new way of thinking. As a world, we must put the prime importance on human values rather than a divine or supernatural being. To believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and perfect in every way is to stifle human progress and is a cop-out. And a couple more, two more paragraphs. We are responsible for our future, our own future, not some mystical being. Humanists call it atheism, if you wish. Believe in the potential value and goodness of human beings. Human, humanists emphasize common human needs and seek rational ways of solving human problems. We don't pray for help from above. We roll up our sleeves and get to work solving problems for humanity. And finally, too many throats have been cut, too many children slaughtered. When bullets and bombs replace words and deeds, we are on the path to destruction. Now, that's both you know, positive and negative. A religious would see that as being very negative. A humanist would see that as being very positive. Yeah. The direction that we're going to go and for our future generations and leaving this world that we have a little bit better than the other, that uh, the ones that we found, is our obligation to humanity. We, we cannot leave the world worse than we found it. We have to leave it better than we found it. That is our responsibility. Yeah. That's our obligation. And, and I really believe that uh, religion is not doing their job. They do a little bit of good. I Maybe 10, maybe 20%, and they do 80% harm. And everyone's invited to no religion required. I, our, our good friend Brian, that lives up in Canada, mm -hmm. a, as you know, he wrote a book. Yes. And his book is going to be, is expected to release May 15th. So it's coming up soon. His book is called Atheism, Religion, and Life, A Layperson's Perspective. It's a title of a new book written by former alderman and counselor Brian Hinckley from the city of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Mr. Hinckley said he wrote this book for the ordinary person to help the layman better understand how atheism and religion affect the lives of people. I had the opportunity to proofread this book, and folks... Please, please, please pick up a copy of Brian's book. It is an amazing book. And I can really relate 
to what you just said is to why you would spend the time researching, putting up this book. Uh, it's the same reason that I'm online and that I have, uh, with my friend created a podcast is that I have a daughter and just also family and friends. I just care about people and I want to, in any way that I can contribute to us, wisening up a little bit and asking some deeper questions about how this stuff keeps happening to us. Um, I absolutely agree with the quote that you read from your book. Totally agree with it. Well, that, that's, that's what, what I hope the ordinary person can pick it up, read it, digest it and understand it. Um, that's all I can do. You know, <laughs> what, what else, what else can I, what else can I do? Uh, um, other people are, are done some great things and, uh, uh, you're doing uh, a, a great thing by uh, contributing uh, to this whole discussion. Uh, whoever's out there listening, um, they can do some things. What I uh, I have a little presentation that I I, I make and uh, say, look, at, if you're an atheist or a humanist, there's some things that you can do. First of all, I, I say right up front, be careful, be careful, because it depends upon your position, your stature, your job, your where you are. You know, if you're yeah. down in the southern states, you have to, you really have to watch yourself because you don't want to uh, be a, um, a, a radical atheist <laughs> in some areas uh, of your life. You don't want to be like the religious folks that come around knocking on your door. That approach is not the approach of an atheist and humanist. You don't shove anything down anybody's throat, first of all. So you have to be careful uh, of what you're going to do. Yep. That's the, the first thing. And if you just say you're an atheist in some areas, or, or if you just say, I don't believe in God, you could lose your job. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I really agree with what you're saying. I know that there are some, I won't name them, but there are some prominent um, atheists who have said otherwise in the past because they want atheists to just all come out and tell the whole world they're atheists. And this has been my concern. I'm like, you don't know everyone's situation. <laughs> you just don't. No. And, and, and uh, you're, you're right. And and as people who are in the, I don't know if you call it a movement. I'm not sure the atheists have challenged yeah, to, to, to a movement. I agree. I don't know. I just use that term because it, it's what everyone says. <laughs> but but you you have to be careful. And um, so you have to first of all understand your situation. Now, if you're in Canada, we're we're we're, we're pretty good, pretty good. But the, you can express your opinion. People are a little more tolerant in Canada. Yeah, Actually, yeah. you. I don't know what the figures now, but the, uh, the figures that are a few years old say that about 24% of the population of Canada are either atheists, agnostics, or, or nuns, you know, nuns. Yeah. They're not religious of any sort, you know. And yep. at that, I'll be, I'll be interested to see the NICS uh, uh, statistics that come out on that kind of a survey because I, I believe it's growing. Uh, at any rate, we're a lot more, more tolerant. There are things that are happening. Uh, we are tolerant of people's religious religions, but there's a, a growing sector of the, the population yeah. that is becoming non-religious. All right. So we are at a stage where you can discuss this. Now, individuals, you may get an individual reaction, but I have found since I have come out, I haven't been attacked at all. <laughs> uh, and I've been waiting for it. My wife, <laughs> my wife says, geez, is our house going to be bombed or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, not at all. I have some really good religious friends right across the road from me uh, who've been to Africa on, on the, doing their missionary work and, and all the rest. And, uh, you know, we're good friends. I've got a lot of religious friends. But I think we're in a privileged uh, position, just like many Europeans are in a privileged position. Yeah, we're that, very uh, fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they have religion. 
over there. But uh, it's kind of like, well, all right, you you do your thing and uh, we'll do ours. And uh, if you want to go to church, fine, you want to go to church. But um, the, in some countries, you got 60, 60, 70 percent that are non-religious, you know, Yeah. Uh, which is, is, is quite remarkable. And it, can, it continues to grow. Now, it's ironic that you have this ISIS group who won't tolerate anybody else's religion except their own form of Islam. Now, yeah. I know a few, uh, not a lot, but I know a few Islams, and they're good people, at least the ones that I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they're not trying to convert me, and uh, I'm not trying to convert them to anything. And uh, they don't seem to want to kill me. So, uh, you know, there's shades of gray in all of this. And we have to get the discussion right. And it's very difficult. It's extremely difficult to, as I say, get the discussion right. Yeah. But I say to atheists, those who are, are not in fear of losing their job or whatever, the second step is to discuss it. Be free to discuss it. Don't go around preaching it, but yeah. be ready to discuss it. That's the second stage. The third stage is to come out a little more. And that is uh, maybe wear a, a, a T-shirt that has something like the Weinberg's uh, saying, um, uh, or, or there's a thousand different kinds of T-shirts and that. Uh, maybe wear the atheist uh, symbol. Uh, that I have the atheist symbol, and sometimes that will create discussion. You don't have to initiate the discussion. Somebody will see that on you and ask you about that. Now that opens the door. Usually, you can reach that stage once you feel a little bit comfortable with discussing the matter of religion, atheism, humanism. Explain the difference. Some of these folks out there have the weirdest opinion of what an atheist is. They don't even know what a humanist is. Yeah. And they are just got zero, a yeah. big zero knowledge. So it's time to drip on them. I don't say uh, charge at them. Yeah, you drip don't, on them. You don't want to drive them into going from essentially disagreeing with you into being enemies. You don't want to drive people into an enemy camp. You could talk to them. You have a conversation. And if at, the, at the end of the conversation, nothing's changed, well, you know something? Sometimes you plant a little seed, tiny, tiny little seed. Yeah. And, and it makes them think of something that they never thought of before. The most influential thing that was ever said to me that really uh, contributed to me becoming a free thinker, a skeptic, an atheist um, a friend of mine named Carolyn, uh, she was never confrontational with me about my religious beliefs. But one day I was talking to her while we were walking somewhere. This is years back in university. Uh, and we were just walking along and I figured I was talking to her about something that was, I was finding difficult to reconcile my religious beliefs from what I was feeling about some kind of social issue. And she looked at me and she goes, well, you know, maybe sometimes isn't it really about unlearning? That's the challenge. Sometimes unlearning can be more difficult than learning. And that small thing she said would reverberate in my mind for years. It still comes to my mind. It sounds very small and very simple. And you're talking about a seed? That was a seed that <laughs> exploded into a field. That may be small and that may be simple, but it's also very profound. Yeah. yeah. Now, now wait, wait, okay, then there's, there's, two, there's, uh, there's uh, another step after that. And the next step is where you are and I am. You can do something. And people say, well, you know, what can I do? Well, you can start a podcast. Oh, I can't start a podcast. <laughs> well, okay. You can write a poem. Yeah. Oh, I'm not very good at writing a poem. All right. Um, can you sing? Yeah. Write a song. Sing a song. How do you think uh, all these other movements have been coming along? Is yeah. Music. Music is powerful. Religion lives on music. You know, so the atheist humanist movement, uh, movement, whatever, uh, it, 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 Commun community efforts, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
you can join the way you can join yeah. the local meetup group exactly yeah and and that that will give you more encouragement more knowledge you can uh, maybe maybe write a book i don't know maybe you can help uh, with some of these conferences, for example, the one in uh, is coming up in Kitchener, yeah, the non-conference, non yeah, right? which I went to last year, and I'll be there again this year. Oh, I'm going to be there this year, so I'll see you. Oh, well, then we'll have, <laughs> have, a, have a, a face to face. Well, face to face chat. We're kind of face to face right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be in person. I'll, uh, I'll be there, and I'll have a, a table set up, and I'll have my books there, and I have a awesome. special price for the the conference. But uh, I enjoyed my, myself tremendously. I just come back, by the way. Uh, from um, the uh, Imagine No Religion uh, 5 conference in Vancouver. And what a great conference that was. Uh, I hear nothing but good stuff about it. Oh, uh, yeah. It, 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 was, it, was, it was great. It, uh, it was inspiring. The, some of the, you know, the, the speakers and the knowledge is um, unbelievable. Uh, and uh, that, that one speaker who was at the non-conference last year, the fellow, the Iraqi father, uh, fellow, Faisal, and I can't pronounce his last name, uh, he'll be there. Uh, he was he was out there at Vancouver, and he will be at the Kitchener Conference in, I think it's August 22nd. So anybody who's listening, uh, uh, get your tickets. Uh, um, Spencer, what's his name? Lucas? Lucas, yeah. He was on the show as well. Oh, well, yeah. Spencer Lucas, uh, yeah, get a hold, hold of him. Uh, look up the website. Uh, I'm giving him a plug because uh, this is this is what you can do. I, we're, yeah. we're talking about the, uh, I got a, a five-step program. Um, I don't have uh, uh, 11 or 12 steps, so they have an AA, but I got five steps. Uh, it's a Good. shorter. You don't yeah, have, I like you that. You don't have many steps. <laughs> and, uh, one of the steps is very important. Actually, is to is to go to the conference and um, yeah, and learn some things. And then you may even want to volunteer on helping out with the conference because I'm sure Spencer can use the help. So um, uh, there's lots of things you can do. And then beyond that is 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 the last step, which I won't even say at this point. I'll leave that as as a surprise. Yeah, it's a good idea. All right, <laughs> All right so. Um, I've had you for a while, so I think that's a good point to, to kind of uh, to leave off on. Is uh, did you want to say anything about where people should go to uh, find out about the book, uh, where, where direct them anywhere? I'm going to put well, show notes as well, but it's often they'll just listen to this. And well, it's very very easy. Um, it, first of all, if you just Google it, uh, it'll it'll come up. If you use the full title, uh, "Atheism, Religion, and Life," uh, and then in brackets, "A Layman's Perspective." But uh, for people that don't live in the Hamilton, Burlington area, because the local bookstores um, will reduce their price for local authors. And so the, the best place for people in the Hamilton, Burlington area is to go to the small local independent bookstores. They support local authors. Yeah. I have, I have to tell you, the big chains like Chapters, Indigo, and that, they don't support no. uh, local authors. They don't care whether <laughs> you're a local nope. author or not. And they take the biggest chunk. So they take pretty well the whole package, you know. And <clears throat> that's the, the for the, the local people. Uh, the other, the best, uh, second best place is to go to lulu.com um, directly and then order it from there. That, that's you'll get your second best price. The next one is amazon.ca or .com. And then the last place is go to the big fellas. They won't have it in stock, but they order it and they get it very fast. Uh, yeah. The way books are, are printed today, they have a new new machinery that, that works marvelously. Uh, you can get a book in, in two days, two three days. Yeah, it's incredible. Want, you don't need to order a lot. <laughs> so, is the is the future is now? <laughs> yeah, the future is now. Um, otherwise, uh, it, it's difficult uh, for uh, somebody who wants to publish a book. So there's a lot of books out there. The problem is uh, people don't know about them all. Yeah. yeah. Well, whoever listened to this is going to know about this. I will put that in the show links. 
Yep. And uh, I really appreciate you um, spending the time to let us know about what you've well, created. I, I've enjoyed talking with you thoroughly, and I'm going to look forward to uh, meeting you in person yeah. on August 22nd at the uh, non-conference. It's, it should be a great conference. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm not great at farewell, so uh, that'll do, pig. That's the worst goodbye I've ever heard. And you stole it from a movie. <laughs>